This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. All right, Tom, I feel like this is a, a long time coming here. Yeah, this is one uh, we've been talking about, or you particularly have been talking about a long time. So we're going to talk about the man who's facing on the $100 bill, one of the country's uh, founding fathers. So we're going to go over a little bit of brief history, look at some uh, some facts that might surprise you about the um, famous Ben Franklin. I mean, this guy was everything. It, it's, it's surreal, because as we sat down to talk about this, I'm like... All right, we could do this in like 40 minutes. And you're like, no, this is like a multiple part. And I'm like, oh, we're going to try our best. But he was an, a writer, a scientist, an inventor, a statesman, a diplomat, a printer, a publisher, a forger, political philosopher thing that... Inventor, scientist. Yeah, no, he was like basically, he was a renaissance man. like that Renaissance term. man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, polymath is what kept on popping up when I was doing research for this. And I'm like, polymath? What is polymath? Which So I literally had to go in and like look it up, which stems from a Latin word, homo universalis, which basically means he was a universal human. An individual whose knowledge spans a substantial number of subjects, like known to draw on complex bodies of knowledge to solve specific problems. Like he was one of a kind. Yeah, and he and he didn't have a really formal education. He only had two years of formal education, which I'm sure we'll get into. But one reason why he was able to do all these things was he made so much money. He was mostly with the printing press. Yeah. Um, he made so much money doing that that he was able to retire in his early 40s and then yeah, just 42. spent the next spent the next 42 years basically just doing whatever he wanted the inventing you know spent a lot of time in in england that's what got him into politics you know and then obviously everything was revolution and stuff and stuff so but yeah well, one reason was because he became so wealthy from his writings and from his publishing companies that he was able to just do anything else he wanted and he put a lot of that to um public service yep uh, which we'll discuss. Yeah, he he's a, a first this, a first this, a first this. Like he, it's so many things that are a well, first kind of be a. He's going to have to be, especially for the United States, because the, he was alive and the country wasn't even a country. So he's going to be the that first for a lot of things. Well, I yeah, okay, good point, good point. However, <laughs> he retired at forty two. Most of the things we're talking about, we're going to obviously talk about his early life as well. But most of the stuff that you guys know him for happened after his retirement. It's almost like you know, I keep on thinking forty two. He retired, right? I mean, that's like us retiring in a few years. I can't like it's like starting a whole new life and then doing everything you were meant to do in your life after retirement, like after or rather retirement, in retirement. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy to me. It'd be nice. Yeah, right. OK, we're teachers. We're never retiring. <laughs> let's uh, let's get going and let's kind of get started a little bit about his. Uh, I mean, well, I guess, I guess like I can... where, where he's born. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to go. We'll with start there a little bit and move on. All right, you go that. We'll talk a little bit about it and we'll see where it goes. All right. So Benjamin Franklin, guys, was. The 10th son of 17 children uh, when he was born in 1706, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he eventually made Philadelphia his like home base, and that's kind of what he's known for. But being the 10th son of 17 children at a time when really the firstborn was the most important child of them all kind of made him really the, like the forgotten son. And he kind of talks about that in his autobiography as well. One year of grammar school and then another year under a private teacher, as Tom said, two years formal education by the age of 10. At 12, he was basically done with schooling and he went to work for his brother, James, who was a printer. And that's kind of what starts his yeah. printing you know, this is, career. His, I, he writes in his old book that he wants to be a sailor, but um, his father lost an older son to a sailing accident. said, you know, you're not doing that. He actually wanted him to go into the clergy. But the problem was being the clergy, you need many, many years of schooling, and he just couldn't afford. This was still before, you know, 
public schooling or anything like that. He couldn't afford to send him to school that much. Like I said, he only had two years of formal schooling. So he had to go become an apprentice with, with his brother. And it wasn't like an easy time. You'd think they were brothers. They'd be like nice to each other. And that really no. wasn't the case. You can see like, his brother used to beat him, like just like savagely yeah. beat him and stuff like that because Benjamin was getting like more, I guess, uh, praise and more success than him. So a lot of times he was jealous with that. So he, yeah, he would get, he, we'll talk about like what he did there basically. But um, yeah, his brother did not want him there basically. And during this time, this is also when Ben Franklin kind of starts to self-educate himself uh, through reading. That's why, you know, it's funny when they're yeah, he loves like, to read, yeah. It, they tell, you know, when, when we had kids, right, Tom? It was this idea of like, make sure you read to them, make sure you read to them. And this is the idea here too, that Franklin just read newspapers. He just started reading newspapers, then transitioned into books. And he was always found reading and reading and reading. And what's up happening is James Franklin, his brother, winds up finding a new newspaper called the New England Current, 1721. And in this particular one, this is an interesting setup yeah, for a paper he because does. he allowed, yeah, he allowed readers to contribute to his paper. That that was like an open invitation. Yeah. That readers, opinion pieces, opinion exactly. pieces, which didn't exist before. And there were newspapers before this, but really it just kind of had information from news abroad. This one actually had articles about like what's going on around the area, had advertisements, had the news of like the ship schedules, and just became really, really popular. And yeah, the opinion and- opinion pieces were big. Exactly. So one uh, old lady named Silence Duguid started writing for this um, opinion piece. And Silence Duguid actually was Benjamin Franklin. Ben Franklin, right? yeah. So the brother didn't even know that here is his, his younger brother, um, who's still like a teen. He wrote 14 essays where he basically made fun of like the old British traditions. He made fun of funeral eulogies, uh, made fun of students at Harvard, made fun of pretentiousness. He wrote about the rights for women, which was yeah, like a big deal. This yeah, is no, early nuts. 1700s. Yep. And the brother, um, James Franklin, was convinced that there's no way, like, they would have, it didn't even cross his mind that this could have been Franklin. Because they're like, this had to be some really learned person with a lot of wit that could write these essays. But meanwhile, it, it, that was the beginning of uh, Ben Franklin really stating his opinions. Um, then he gets, James gets in trouble in 1722. He goes to jail. Yeah, yeah uh, mainly because of his newspaper, right? The authorities were kind of upset that his newspaper was... It was making uh, fun of the clergy. Exactly. So they say he is forbidden to print or publish the, the current. So he winds up actually giving the current to Frank, uh, Ben Franklin because yeah. he doesn't want to lose it. So he like signs yeah. it off to his brother while he goes to jail. Basically, they were against inoculations at the time for smallpox. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. one of the things, and it was a big thing. And a lot of the other... Um, Puritan leaders said that, you know, they, they supported, they said it's just making people sicker. He was also um, writing a lot about making fun of the clergy, particularly James um, was doing a lot of that. And um, Benjamin was left on the paper and the paper was doing really well. Uh, Benjamin was doing really well with the paper, but he just, um, when James got out, he just didn't like the direction he was taking it in. Yeah. And uh, he just kept on harassing him about giving it back. And instead, he, he was still beating him at this time. Like just randomly just attacking Yeah, Franklin him. was 17 at the time. Yeah. yeah. So Franklin's like, I'm done with this. And he just forget it. He runs away and leaves in 1723, which is a big risk because at that time, running away was actually a crime because you had to have some sort of place in society. And the idea was runaways didn't fit in anywhere. So by like running off, like he was taking a big risk that, you know, he could get thrown in jail for doing something like this or worse because, you know, you no longer fit in society. You're going to be like a drain society now because you're not, you're not contributing in some way. But he left to New York in hopes of trying to be a, um, a printer. So right. he's taking a risk. This is just another example of, you know, someone in history that takes this big risk and it pays off down the line. Not saying, you know, but, you know, sometimes they don't work out because it didn't work out for him in New York. But he walks across New Jersey and finally ends up in Philadelphia. And that's kind of where he, you know, starts to um, find his niche. 
basically. But, but also, like, even escaping home at 17 today, like, it's that. Oh, it's, it's not easy. Yeah, no, they just to leave home. But again, he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't have no connection with his like other family at that point. It was just his brother who just, you know, was like, sti- he felt like it was stifling him creativity. Plus, the guy's beating him. Yeah. Like, it's like, nope. Bye. No. So. so he winds up going to Philadelphia, and this is also where he first meets his future wife, Deborah. Yeah, yeah. Um, De- Deborah Reed. Deborah Reed, which he kind of promises marriage to, but then he winds up going to Europe and like abandons her, and then yeah, she gets she married to somebody else. She married somebody else, and then other things happen. So I just picked this up, and I know this is going to sound like a dad joke, but you know how he said he, he liked to like for his education read all the time. Look at her mm-hmm. last name, Reed. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. That, that's that's uh, that's such a bad. I don't know. Dude, that's perfect. It just shows you where my mind is right now. But yeah, so. <laughs> anyway, he winds up, yeah, walking past the Reed family doorstep. He sees Deborah. They talk. They blah, blah, blah. And then eventually yeah, he starts he, rooming at the Reeds. Yeah, right? he, yeah, he rooms there. He lives there. Yep. And eventually, again, starts, yeah, he's still a teenager, starts working as a printer. And by spring of 1724, um, he starts meeting other young men that are also really into reading and very eloquent and educated young men, even though he's not, he's like self-educated. And he is kind of urged to set up a business for himself by the Reeds, but also by one of the Reeds' friends who happens to be the governor of Pennsylvania, Sir William Keith. And Sir William Keith suggests to Franklin that he should try to you know, return to Boston, raise enough money, capital, so that way he can start this venture of opening up his own printing business. Then he suggests that maybe he could go to England as well, make some yeah. connections in London with some stationers, some booksellers, and maybe choose his type and so on and so forth. So he tells Franklin, you know what, listen, I'll help you get money to go to England, and then I'll write all these uh, letters of credit and introduction letters for you, so that way you can have it easy when you get to England. So... Here's basically Ben Franklin promises marriage to Deborah Reed. Then him and his friend James Ralph hop on a boat and they sail to London in November of 1724. But then they realize when they get there that Keith, the governor, never actually made or written, wrote anything, yeah, he, rather. He just reneged on the whole thing. Yep. He was like, ah, you guys are fine. So here now are these two teenagers in London. They're and stranded. No money. Stranded. Right. So he winds up going to, so he does what he knows how to do. He basically gets a job at a printing press because that's what he does. Based on everything I read, this is where he like starts to really enjoy theater. And also this is where he kind of gets into his other pleasures where uh, he's infamous for this. He was a big womanizer. Yeah, he was a flirt, a womanizer. He actually had a, a child named William that we'll get to later on. And the mother yeah. of William is not known. No one knows who the mother is. It's kind of like yeah. a name that was kind of lost to history. Yeah. I couldn't really find out. Uh, what was going on? But he lived in obviously in England for a number of years. He actually goes back to later on too. He was a big supporter of the crown of the English monarchy, really up until around what seventeen seventy five. Yeah, like no, they was, thought they were like yeah, so, Americans were kind of like, is this guy a spy? Like, they they were thought, yeah. When are you getting ahead of our story here, Pete? Oh, sorry, on, my you're, bad, you're breaking my up the chronologically. Come on, I got excited. He was a spy. I mean, that's the cool stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Right. no he wasn't. That's the point. I know, I know, I know. Now we're going to get in trouble for calling Benjamin Franklin a spy. Uh, history teacher's talking. Yeah, about that's it. not going to go over very well. <laughs> anyway, he's in London. He's doing his thing, right? He's just kind of living a self indulgent life. He's hooking up with all these women. He's meeting all these other people in the printing business. He really is making connections. Um, he really only wrote to Deborah once. He basically ignores Deborah, which is why Deborah wants to. Well, she, she, she gets married to someone else, but then that husband runs off, and then he actually marries her in 1730. Yes. But when he so, comes, that's what, yeah, that's later, when he comes back from London. But he also marries yeah. her already with a son. He's like, and here is a baby that happens yeah. to be my son from this woman. I will never tell you who she is. Now raise it. Yeah, literally. So, anyway, so Ben Franklin at that point, 
decides, you know what, this it's 1726, he decides he's done with London, he had enough, and he winds up coming back to Philadelphia. He starts this like letter exchange with uh, Thomas Denham, who is a Quaker merchant, and he offers him like a clerkship in his store in Philadelphia, like come back, blah, blah, blah. So he comes back, but then Denham dies fairly quickly. So now here is Franklin, 20 years old, returning from the printing trade, right, and set up his own printing press, more or less. First as a partner, and then by 1730, he is the sole proprietor of his own yeah, printing he, press. It was someone else's press, but he was basically a better printer than the man that was doing yep. it for. So he kind of takes the business over. And he starts becoming really um, big at the time. Like a lot of the citizens noticed what's going on, businessmen. Yeah, he started getting um, contracts to do government jobs. And this business really started to thrive at this point. And this is, as you mentioned, uh, we said it just before, but this is also when he winds up he decides he's like you know i should be married like because a lot of him they said that he kept on hanging out with quote-unquote low women and because of how much money he started to make it like didn't really match with his status anymore that he yeah. kept on like hooking up with all these different women so he decided like you know i need a wife so he goes back to deborah and he goes all right let's get married so he took her for, as a wife on september 1st 1730 but at the same time she was like the only woman in Philadelphia that would have him because of the fact that he had an illegitimate son. Legitimate son, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the fact that she was in a marriage beforehand, the husband ran off. That was the only way to like, yeah, it was the only, their, their status, they had to just be together. That's how yep. it had to work. So it worked out. Yeah, she was left behind and he had an illegitimate son. So they wind up having, first of all, as you mentioned, we don't know who the mother is, but they wind up having a son, Frankie, who dies at the age of four. And then they have a daughter, Sarah, who winds up surviving them both. Uh, William never, ever gets along with Deborah. And he, as we know, his future, he, um, he's we'll kind of yeah. tied to our state. Yes. But, all right. So let's go back to Franklin. Well, he opens up the, uh, the Pennsylvania Gazette, right? That's probably mm-hmm. like, um, which is the um, claim, to, claim to fame. Yeah. It also it printed the papers. It also contributed pieces um, under a lot of his aliases. So he had other aliases at this time, too, that he would uh, print under. And it was, became the most successful newspaper in all the colonies. So, and he actually has the first ever political cartoon in it, which Ben Franklin himself drew. This guy did everything. So, so all that say, yeah. He also, at this time, creates an um, organization known as Junto, right? Yep. Which was like a young man's work group that came together to um, come together with these well-educated men, mostly businessmen, about like, civic, um, civic improvements and stuff like that. He joins the Freemasons at that time. So he was a very successful man, very busy man socially. That's when he's put together and he starts making a lot of money, but like his um, Poor Richard's Almanac. And also the library company of li- of Philadelphia. He basically finds the yeah, library, library because because of the Junto. Again, um, yeah, reading books. He thought it was very important, yeah. Yep. Ho- hospitals. He founds hospitals, fire prevention, insurance companies. He's doing for, all this stuff. First fire, time, yeah. very first firehouse in, in Philadelphia. He's like, you know, we need something in case there's a fire to like. We well, saw these like, fires were devastating back then. Yeah. Like they were yeah, just crazy. There was no fire codes and stuff like that. Uh, forms the American Philosophical Society in 1743. In 1749, publishes proposal relating to the education of youth in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania rather. Um, and then in 1751, because so he is through this junta where he basically brings together these like greatest minds in Philadelphia and they discuss politics, natural philosophy, they exchange knowledge and business. Um, these guys 
are like, well, we need we need access to books. So that's how in 31, they organized the first library. And all these minds getting together, because he's kind of like the leader of it, a lot of this credit goes to him. And these guys really are the ones that push for first philosophical society and then push for better education. And in 1751, you have that is spearheaded by Ben Franklin of the Academy of Philadelphia, which we know today as the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, this guy is just using his wealth and his status to... I would say move Philadelphia society forward. No question about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, he creates um, insurance companies to help against fire loss, um, and he's doing in his business too. Is also going really successful by so so much so by the we talked about before by 1749 he retired from business, and that's when he starts concentrating on like science and experiments and inventions and stuff like that. And he actually creates a heat efficient stove, this metal stove that uses less wood than traditional stoves to help yep. like heat the house, and they call it the Franklin stove. And, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, since it was invented to improve society, he refused to take out a patent on it because he could have made even more money doing that. By this point, he's already, I guess, like a millionaire by like today's equivalent, right? Standards, yeah. Standards, right? So he's, really, he's, he's making a ton of money. He invents um, swim fins at this time. That's crazy. The swimming <laughs> fins, right? Um, the, the glass harmonica. There's a music instrument, bifocals. But during this time, he also gets really famous because of his um, study in the early 1750s when it comes to electricity, which I guess we can get into a little bit if you want. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Sure yeah. So, I, so just getting into electricity real quick, when he retired in 1748-49 at the age of like 42, there was this distinctive status of the 18th century that basically – no busy artisan could be a gentleman. So you need to be, when you're a gentleman, you cannot work. So from that point forward, he never worked again physically, or right? he became a silent partner in the printing firm that he still owned, right? So he still made profit like money. crazy. He's still making money. Yeah, but he never actually, he was officially, he actually announced himself as a gentleman. And he did this by having a portrait painted of himself and acquired like a coat of arms. And he moved into the spacious house in the quiet part of town. And he's now officially a gentleman, which is where he starts doing all these like, well, this is what gentlemen do. They, they play around and they have these amusements. And from this time is where you have a lot of these different what do you call it? inventions that he comes up with but yeah also in 1740s electricity was one of these like curious amusements for gentlemen and there was a an electrical machine sent to the library company in philadelphia by one of franklin's like english correspondents he made sure it was sent over and in the winter of 1746-47 uh franklin and three of his other gentlemen friends began to like investigate this electrical phenomenon so his son um, helps him too, William, his first yep, son. Yep, yep. Does help him early, does help him with these experiments. And so a lot of people say, oh, Franklin invented electricity. That's not true. You can't invent no, 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 something no. that is existing. So he's, he didn't invent it. What he's doing is he's trying to understand is, the, is lightning electricity, right? Because that's something yep. that they weren't necessarily about how electricity flows and so that piece was happening in a lot of these buildings is they're getting tall particularly like churches and stuff and they have metal on the top or weather vanes on the top. They're getting hit by lightning and that's sparking fires. So he's yep. also looking at, he creates a lightning rod from these experiments that, that redirects the lightning into the ground, you know, high metal pole basically to make sure that the buildings don't get hit by lightning, which is like a huge, it saves, you know, structures and millions of dollars. It still use damage. it today. It's, 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 a basic, it's a basic principle. Yeah. Lightning yeah. rods. Actually, when he was done. So in 1751, his 86 uh, page book titled Experiments and Observations on Electricity is published. And it winds up going through five different English editions yeah. and three French, Makes one Italian, one German. He is a world-known yeah. international scientist. Fan. Yeah, he's known as the man that tamed lightning. Crazy. From, from his kite experiments and so forth with lightning. So he becomes super famous from this, yeah. 
Yes, fame spreads. And that um, fame is going to carry him into and help him in politics, which is his yep. next main like thing where he really gets into in the uh, 1750s. And uh, once we get into politics, awesome segue, real quick though. He invented a battery for storing electrical charges during those experiments with electricity. He also coined new English words for the new science of electricity, like conductor, that's him, charge, discharge, condense, electrify, and there's many others are coined by Ben Franklin that we use today. Yeah, so he's doing a lot. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. So now that he's famous, he is rich, he's renowned, let's get into public service of Ben Franklin. All right. So um, he really gets into, like we said, the 1750s. He actually goes to, in 1757, he goes to England, where he re- where he is a representative from Pennsylvania. In its fights over the descendants of the Penn family, over who should represent the colony. So he's mm-hmm. kind of like going there. He actually remains in England until 1775. So he's there for a while. And um, he's also the colonial representative, not only of Pennsylvania, but also Georgia, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. So he's, you know, doing all this time. And when he's there, he considered himself a loyal Englishman. Like we said before, he liked a lot of stuff that um, England had, um, the, the thinkers, the theater, the witty conversations, like stuff like that, that he felt was in like short supply. And during this time, he's married to Deborah and he keeps yeah. on urging her to come and visit him. And he, and she's like, no, because she doesn't trust um traveling by ship and he actually is considering and during in the 1760s or just staying there permanently just living in england from then on but things start to change a little bit in the 17 in 1765 where um he gets caught up in the with, with the stamp act that punk comes out right yes. you know, i'm sure everyone knows about the stamp act and um he actually is the one that persuades part the english parliament or he's you know he's giving um reasons why and one of the individuals to help persuade english parliament to repeal the law yep but he starts seeing a lot of the corruption in English politics that he's kind of getting sick of, too, at this time. And we also need to mention, because that's what brings him back, um, he's appointed during this time, the Crown appoints him as the Postmaster General. General, yeah. Uh, back in the colonies. Um, and this is interesting, too, because by being the Postmaster General of the colonies, initially it's just of the region like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but eventually he's the main general, um, Postmaster General, which kind of brings him... It, into this uniting factor of all the colonies. Now he's actually interested because he has to do his job. He has to get to know people from various colonies. He has to almost, there's some unity involved here, right? Again, they're just colonies. There's 13 of them, but because he's the postmaster general for all of them, he starts to see them not just as individual colonies, but like, okay, like as an entity almost per se. Yeah. He, he actually thought the colonies should unite in some way, even way before there was any sort of like, talk of revolution. Yeah. Even in the 1750s, he talks about how the colonies should unite together. That's that famous join or die. Um, yep. snake. That, that was his political cartoon. That's not a revolution cartoon. That's more of like, we need to join together just so, as all. French and in your war. This was entity. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that, that was about times you see that with the, with the revolution. Yep. It definitely can carry that too, but that's written way, that's drawn way before that. Yep. Um, often my students mistake that. They're like, oh, yeah, this is, uh, no, 20 years prior. This is French yeah. revolutions. I mean, a French and Indian war is happening. And um, Ben Franklin's like, we should all join together and like have a say as one. And yeah, he, can, he was, by the way. force as one, yeah. Yeah. By the way, we both know um, he was repealed. The people were like, no. <laughs> Colonies were like, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that, yeah. No, you mean the states don't get along with each other? 
No yeah. way. Yeah, no way. Ridiculous. Bipartisanship in the United States? No way. Um, so in, in 1762, well, a lot of things happened in 1762. So very much a royalist by, by 1762. But as you mentioned, he starts seeing like the cracks. He's like, and this is an interesting thing. When you start reading the writings of Ben Franklin, he still wants to be British. When, when he's pro-American independence, that's because he says that Britain lost its way. And his belief was that the American colonies actually retained what was awesome about being about, British. About, yeah. They're the and, only true British stuff. Exactly. British They're the true basically. Brits. Yeah. So. Um, but in 1762, his son William, then age 31, is appointed the royal governor of New Jersey. Royal governor meaning British selected royal governor of New Jersey. So William is definitely a loyalist of you know our home state. And they're still kind of somewhat get along. It's not that bad yet. Seventeen six. So in 1762, Franklin has to go back to Pennsylvania to really look after his post office. But he does promise his friends that he would soon return, right? So, Which he does not. Which he does not. And he has to tour the post office up and down North America. So you're looking at like 1,800 miles. Uh, and there's no you know, roads, really. He has no, to no roads. Right. They, yeah, they don't have yeah. that sort of stuff. No, he's just – he has to travel to all the post offices – and he winds up losing an election to the Pennsylvania Assembly in 1764. And at that point, Franklin just, he wants to go back to London. Deborah's like, I don't want you to go back to London. He's like, well, you know what? I got to go because this is where the Stamp Act really gets involved in 1765. He's like, I need to go back and face the problems of the Stamp Act. And I feel like I'm the right person to bring that up in the parliament. So um, like you said, Pete, and then Franklin gets back to England, he kind of gets a big break or what's looked at as a big break later on with something that becomes known as the Hutchinson Affair. So there was this English appointed governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Hutchinson, and he pretended to take the side of the people in Massachusetts in their complaints against England, but he was still really working for the King of England. And Franklin got a hold of a lot of these letters in which Hutchinson called for an abridgment of what the English call of English liberties in America. And Franklin sends these letters to America and, you know, kind of like these hidden documents, right? And um, all this, the population got like outraged and the leaking the letters, Franklin was actually called to the English foreign ministry and he was condemned in public. And this really, like we, this combined with the Stamp Act is really what um, kind of makes him change his minds a lot about, like we said before, about what was going on in England that the English government and stuff lost its way. And that really mm-hmm. is when he it's when he does come home, and that's when he starts working um, actively actively for independence. This is when he believes right uh, he's going to support this cause of independence because of the Hudson Affair, Stamp Act, things of that nature. Yep, yeah. So he returns. Uh, he sails for America, uh, like you said. He's emba- he feels embarrassed. He feels like England just yeah. you know accusing him. Turned of it back. Him, yeah. He was you know, when he was such yeah. a good son of England. So he's like, forget this. Um, Sales for America on March 1775. Upon his arrival, immediately is selected to the um, Second Continental Congress. Um, you know, for those of you guys, we did an American Revolution podcast. You guys can find it. So some Americans definitely remain suspicious of his loyalties because this yeah. guy is so British-esque. But because he was a- abroad for so long, right? So there was some talk like, is he a British spy? Is he not a British spy? But it, do- it didn't matter. He was one of the most known Americans in the world. Yeah. They had and, to be on it. Yeah. Yeah. And they needed Americans to, or American cause to be known around the world. So that's actually why they asked him to join the Continental Congress. Because yeah, in yeah. 1776, they're like, 
Now go back to Europe, my friend. Yeah, he, he was so important. He was put on the Committee of Five to help draft the Declaration of Independence. He didn't actually write much of it. Um, there was talk of it. I think he suspected he was going to write more than he did, um, but he was considered like a jokester and stuff like that. Most of it was yeah. written by Jefferson. A lot of the idea, a lot of the contribution, obviously, was um, Franklin. Franklin does sign it. Yeah. And it's during this time, too, that he thinks his son is going to, his son William is going to be supporting this. I talked about a little bit before. This is the royal governor of New Jersey, but he doesn't agree with his views and he remains a loyal Englishman, a loyal Tory, and actually uh, serves two years in a prison during the revolution. And when he's let out, returns back to England, does never really um, talks to his father again. Yeah, that's kind of a sad of, story, right? Yeah, Ben writes him out of his will and says, listen, you try to take everything from me. I'm leaving nothing to him. <laughs> like, that's what he says, Nuts. more or less. Now, they were supposed to be very also, close for a while, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, one became a patriot, one remained a Tory. We should say Deborah died too. Deborah winds up dying around this time when he goes to England and gets like banished from England, more or less. Um, Yeah, she died a few years later. So that's why when he goes to, um, well, you mentioned a little bit before. So he signed Declaration of Independence. And then afterwards, they sent that they, he sent as the colony's ambassador because he's so famous to France. Yep. And the uh, ambassador of Louis XVI. And because, you know, his wife is dead, he's not, he's a notorious flirt there. And he is loved in France. Franklin is a celebrity among celebrities in France. He is the American when it comes to when in France, and they love him. And um, that's one reason why they signed the Treaty of Alliance with the Americans in 1778 is because of that. There's when he goes to France, right? His image as like this wild American. They have him yeah, in like this everywhere. like coon hat, right? Like yeah, wilderness. His face appears on medallions, uh, candy boxes, rings, statues, prints. Like women did their hair in like the Franklin way. <laughs> like it was what? Like what does this even mean? But what he also did, even though he was super wealthy, he played that up and he dressed in a simple brown and white linen suit and wore this fur cap, no wig, and no sword. Yeah, he was he, was he was he was fitting the part. Yeah, he's he's like you know if that's what they want me to see as this rugged American, like that's what I'm gonna do. He's in like the most formal, elaborate court of Versailles in all of yeah. Europe, and he's kind of dressed like just just like business casual, you know, business casual for the time. And he spends the revolution there, right? That's where he is. Yep. During the time of the revolution, and he actually signs. He's on hand to sign the Treaty of Paris in 1783. That uh, after the Americans won the revolution, so that's where he's doing the whole time. He's negotiating, getting more money, basically being the, the ambassador to France, getting all that French support for the American Revolution. Which you know, let's be honest, the American Revolution isn't successful without French support. So yep. Also, this is again. We he we keep on talking about him like being a player and like getting around with all these women. Like he's an he's also he's an old man. Yeah, he's in his (laughs) seventies. Yeah, he's a seventy year old dude, and he's like you know hooking up with like forty year old women. This is nuts, especially for the time. Uh, A lot of pain for him. Gout and kidney stones apparently was like a big issue for him. He was he was he was he, he was overweight. Yeah, they're also saying that he was surrounded by spies. Like had to watch what he said, where he said, because you know, he was he was a known figure. I mean, no no question about it. He was the guy that people wanted to bring down, you might say. But he does secure the military and diplomatic alliance of France in 1778, which helps us win, as you said, our American Revolution. Yeah, so, so revolution is one. Now he's in his late 70s. He comes back to America. Yep. And um, there's a little bit of debate because apparently he's 100,000... Um, what is that? hundred thousand pounds in congressional funds missing. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically just kind of gives a biblical uh, quote saying muzzle, not the ox that threaded out his master's grain. And everyone kind of laughs and just like, okay, basically he spent all the money. He spent that money yeah. on God knows what. And he's like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? About-? And then everyone's like, yeah, okay, fine. It's Ben Franklin. 
that, that happened. <laughs> so he kind of just got like, kind of like awesome. And then the, the mincing funds were never again mentioned again. And he winds up getting put on the, um, he was unanimously selected in 1785 as the sixth president of the Supreme Executive Council of Pennsylvania. All right. So he's, he's basically holding these types of offices and stuff like that. And that's what he's doing. Like he, um, he is a member of the kind of Congress, but he's more of a kind of a, figurehead right from what i saw like he's not yeah in, no he's, he's, he's people say he's that not, he came he's not in the best of health at this time no no he's in the 70s he's he in the 70s yeah and for then into the 70s back then That's like big, you, yeah. you were like you were in a bonus years man like yeah. you shouldn't be alive people say that and even he said it he's coming back to america to die like as, as sad as that sounds most of his friends were either in, in britain or france like this he was more european yeah. really than american than american yeah um, he spent the revolution in france like you think yeah. of the other founding fathers, they're here like fighting. You know, they're they're some doing. I know um, Adams was doing a little bit of stuff, and like the Netherlands, like doing those sorts of things. But they did come back. But you think of like Washington, you know, um, Jefferson, all those other guys. Like they were actually on the front lines in some cases. But he was in France and doing his own, you know, getting funds and stuff. But also, you know, having some fun as we as we talked about. Also, Congress didn't really treat him that well when he came back. Um, at one point, he asked for a diplomatic appointment for his grandson, and Congress was like, no. Um, he requested some land in the West and Congress was like, no, like they were kind of just, it's almost like the love for Ben Franklin was dying out uh, right before his death. What he, he kind of stuck it to Congress too, because just before his death in 1790, he retaliated by signing this memorial requesting that Congress abolish slavery in the United States. Yeah, that's big. And that this is big. a very famous essay by, by Ben Franklin that he kind of attached to it. Um, anti-slavery. A lot of Congress. Yeah, yeah anti-slavery. He was, he was like, you know what? I'm an abolitionist. And this provokes some congressmen into angry defense of slavery. Then Franklin mocked them that you're defending slavery. How can you defend slavery? Yeah, he thought it went against the, um, the, uh, con- the newly formed constitution. That's we didn't talk about. He, uh, he did serve as host of the Constitutional Convention yep. in 1777 in Philadelphia, but he really didn't have much to do it. Really what he would do, if you really read about it, is he was, it was really hot, obviously. So he was mostly outside naked most of the time getting fanned yeah. by, his, yep. uh, by people because he was, that's, that's what it was. You, would, you could see Ben Franklin outside of the Philadelphia Constitutional Hall, like naked, because it was so hot. <laughs> like, that's what he did. And they were and like, they oh, carried man, he him there. Ben again. Yeah, they carried him he, there. Like, he, yeah, he was yeah, more like of a, a figurehead. But he, yeah, yeah. He, was, but he was there. He didn't really, he gave you a little bit of a debate, I believe, but very little, yeah. not as much as, yeah. you know, history. If you watch some of those, like, you know, like documentary John Adams say. movies or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like he wasn't really there quite that much. Um, nope. doing that much because it was just wasn't for him. He was done with that. And then he, then he writes in 1789 about the anti-slavery, which is a big, like he frees his slaves and yep. he actually leaves in his will that his uh, his children cannot collect their inher- inheritance until they free their slaves. Yep. And he freed his slaves really early. Actually, he initially when he retired in 42, he had you slaves. Only, he, he only had and then two. he frees them. Yeah, he had two slaves in, when he was 42 years old. And then almost right away, he winds up freeing them. And for most of his adult life, he doesn't have slaves. So it's not like yeah. he's like, oh, when I die, kind of like what Washington did. No, no, he yeah. did not have slaves for most of his adult life. And, you know, this is this essay that winds up this mocked this idea of that America being okay with slavery. Uh, this newspaper piece winds up being published only a month before he dies. It's like his last legacy is as an abolitionist, which I think really adds also to his to his overall legacy. Absolutely. But yeah, no, he when he was going to... Uh, the Constitutional Convention, he couldn't really walk because of his weight and gout and other issues. So they made this like carrying little hut thingy that they carried yeah, him in. Right around. Yeah. And remember, this is in July, hot Philadelphia. You had to keep the windows closed and everything because the they didn't want people to know what was going on, secrecy of it. And here's Franklin just walking around or being wheeled around naked, trying to stay cool. No, <laughs> it's just, you know, 
nuts, crazy, interesting, but nuts. frankly, what do you want? What do you want to get into? You want to get into some facts? You want to let's talk about his death. Finish up. How he died? So he winds, he winds yeah. up dying basically like a um, heart attack, more or less, right? April seventeenth, seventeen ninety. His daughter's there with him and stuff like that. Um, she reportedly some of his last words were, "A dying man can do nothing easily," because his daughter says, "Why don't you like try moving on your side?" Basically, all his organs were shutting down, and his lungs just yeah. burst in his chest, and he was like coughing up his lungs and mucus and everything else like that. Then slowly, you know, his breathing got irregular and he died around 11 o'clock at night and um, 84 years old, right? Which is surreal um, for that time. Yeah, for that time. Even now, 84, you could say they had a good run. Yeah. You know? um, about 20,000 people attend his funeral, they're saying, at the Christ Church burial ground in Philadelphia. Revolutionary France entered a state of mourning for three days because remember, he was still so um, famous and stuff um, in France at the time. So it, was, it becomes a huge event, his passing. De- on his grave is still there in Philadelphia, and it simply reads Benjamin and Deborah Franklin. I, I, I have, I've, I've seen his grave. Oh yeah, I, I, it's there. I've been there. Yeah, I've been there too. It's one of those things you have to do when you're in Philadelphia. It has like just it's really it's not anything you would expect it to be. It's not like it's a monument. Corner. It's like in a it, corner, it, regular grave. Like a church, yeah. And it has it is just like a uh, like a fence around it. It's not like you know the Washington Monument, right? Lincoln Memorial, yeah. things like that. Like he's a founding father, but it's a very small little thing, which is probably what he would have wanted because he was. Like a supposed to, he was like supposed to be in a civil service man of the people type of role, you know. I'm just uh, this guy did so much. Daylight oh, savings time. Daylight savings time. That's one of his too. Like, yeah, I don't like that, but no, I know, but like he, he suggested <laughs> that. Like, there's yeah, so I know, much. I know. Swarm, 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 well, he did a lot. Look, that's why he's on the hundred dollar bill, right? Yeah, so that's, why he's on that's why he's that's why he's on the hundred dollar bill. He's one of the few people that were never president, right, to be on the on the bill. So. You know, it's funny when, like, you see those videos on the internet sometimes where they, like, make fun of people not knowing too much about American history. And they're like, who's your favorite president? They're like, Ben Franklin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. Uh... That's, that's what I tend to. I remember telling students, and they're like, like, no, Ben Franklin was never president. They're like, why are you always lying to us? Why are you? I'm like, I'm not. Like, look it up. He was never president. He didn't even consider running. Like, he <laughs> he was in his 70s. He wasn't going to be president. He was, yeah, he was an older dude by then. But I think a lot of them don't realize that how old he was compared to, like, everybody else. But yeah, but he he did a lot. Like we said, he was actually a vegetarian. I guess we can get into the fun yeah. facts, right? He he, you know, obviously from him, he loved his carbs. He ate potatoes, rice, and bread mostly. He did eat some fish later on because the doctor said he needed to, but that didn't help his condition, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, lived according to thirteen virtues that he came up with yes. when he was twenty yes, years yes. old. Like some of them, I'm not gonna get into that, but it was like temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, uh, moderation. Um, yeah, he did not do that. Yeah, like it's almost like he didn't follow <laughs> his 13 virtues. Um, when they were convenient for him. When they were convenient for him. Indeed. Uh, but I thought one that was cool that I saw was that he's the only person in history to sign um, all four documents that helped create the United States. He signed the Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Alliance and Commerce with France, the Treaty of Paris between England, France, the United States, and the U.S. Constitution. That's got to be like a Jeopardy question, I'm sure. That's got to be a Jeopardy question. You know? Also, an avid chess player. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that he actually wrote essays on on chess, uh, he was known as the guy to beat. Apparently, um, Franco was inducted into the United States Chess Hall of Fame in 1999. Well, um, yeah, 1968, he was inducted into Swimming Hall of Fame because he invented the the fins and stuff like that. Because he loves swimming. That's, that's I can't. That's just so much. I can't. Um, well, besides like the hundred dollar bill, you have stamps. Uh, he was first time he was really on anything U.S. government. Um, Paper wise, it was uh, 1861 stamp, then 1895 stamp, um, and then eventually winds up being on a hundred dollar bill. 
Well, a lot of it we can't touch upon. I mean, he spent we half his about, life yeah, in retirement. They're saying that you know he did experiments with what led to the discovery of the Gulf Stream, with a lot of his um, chart, oceanography work and things of that nature. So he's doing a lot of things. He you know worked with the Treasury. Yeah, we talked about the bifocals. The um, well, you talked uh, about the glass, harmon- like the grass harmonica. The, the, yeah, it was so. big, right? Yeah, the Franklin stove, lightning rod, the catheter. He, he created that to help with kidney stones. Yeah, because he suffered from those. Actually, his uh, glass harmonica winds up being a musical instrument that is used by Mozart and Beethoven. He invented it, and those two guys kind of known, so they're using it. Didn't he create something with the alphabet? Well, he wanted to create a new... He thought certain letters were um, redundant. Right? Yeah, he That's wanted cert- like a natural order. So he wanted a natural order of letters, and he wanted to get rid of certain letters. Um, and never really caught on. Like, he wanted to get rid of certain letters... I think like 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 C and J, C J Q W X and Y. He wanted to get rid of it. He added. He wanted to add six new letters. Then they were designed to represent um, own specific vocal sounds. But he wrote an essay about it in 1779. But he scrapped it because like no one really cared. They're like, eh, you know, it just didn't really ca- just didn't really catch on. But yeah, if he had his way, those letters would not be in the alphabet. He said they were redundant. Uh, did you see this thing about leaving money for Boston and Philadelphia? Yeah, so he left, I think, like 2,000 um, yeah, silver, in pure silver. Yeah. And he said it couldn't be used. We had to wait 100 years, and it could only be used to help local artisans. Yep. We had to wait another 100 years, and it could be used any way you wanted. And uh, they both spent, I think, it, the interest with it, right, and what it was, was over yep. $4 million, $2 million. Yeah, $4 million, $2 million. They used it to open up some uh, scholarships in his name and also open up the Franklin, the Franklin Institute's Science yep. Institute. Is it crazy? The guy leaves money to his town, hometown, and says, "Like, uh, yeah. let this accumulate in interest, and in hundred years you could spend it to help people." Like, nuts! Four, it was four point five million. It's, it's just crazy. By nineteen ninety, you know, in today's day and age, unfortunately, that's not like the most the biggest sum, which is so sad. That four point five million is not, you know, anything really to boast about. It's not like they could build massive buildings with that. But uh, I'll still, take it. Come I mean, left it to me. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. I think we'll take it. <laughs> Early retirement for uh, for teachers. Well, I think that. I mean, I have nothing oh. else. Anything else? Yeah, I, th- I think we. You know, he, he he did a lot. I think like the, the idea of him being a Renaissance man would would be interesting. Apparently, I did see that in the um, play Hamilton. There was a song that was supposed to be that was cut uh, that was Benjamin Franklin singing, it, and he was he had some curses in it, and they're saying they they want they they wound up leaving it out, but. Um, some people saw that was actually a mistake leaving it out because it kind of did kind of fit the character of Franklin. Yeah. Know, that's kind of interesting, I think. Less but like, yeah, but, he, but he, he is a Renaissance man. Like that phrase, that term, if you're going to apply that to anyone in history, it's got to be Ben Franklin. I mean, awesome. And I feel like he's so recognizable. You see a picture, you're like, ah, Ben Franklin. Yeah, they know that is. Yeah, he's probably just as recognizable as any of the other founding fathers, if not more so. Yeah. Definitely the most recognizable of all of them that never became president. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much concludes our podcast on Ben Franklin. We did it. Yay. There you go. Uh, Well, if you guys want to um, find us, you can always find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. If you want to email us, you could also email us. Our email is right on there. If uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, as well as Instagram. Uh, Just reach out, you know, click that subscribe button wherever you guys listen to this podcast. And do not forget to leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. So thank you so much, guys. And until next week. Stay safe, everybody.
hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.